Perhaps we can just stand up. I want to pray and then I'm going to preach for a little bit. And then we're going to baptise and we're going to celebrate at the end what God has been doing amongst us so powerfully. Oh Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you are. We thank you that we've had just some moments today to say thank you to you. Lord, I just want to get on my knees and say I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all that you're doing. Thank you for those lives that we've heard about, that you're changing both here and I know at at our south site as well. Uh, I want to pray, Jesus, that you'd keep breaking in because it's all about you. It's all about your glory. It's all about you taking us from darkness into light, taking us from death into life because that's the kind of saviour that you are. And I pray right now, Lord, as we, as we kind of look to your word, as we think about what you want to do in our lives, stir us up, Lord. Stir us up. Release your anointing upon us in a way that touches us and changes us and transforms who we are. We are so, so grateful and we pray encounter us now. And Lord, will you touch those lives that we've just talked about, those who are mourning, those who are changing into different places of life, those who are going through the the, the valley of the shadow and the dark night of the soul, as well as those who are celebrating with joy and rejoicing in every way. Just meet with them because you're the God of all. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Just take... Youth, I believe you're going out, so you have great fun too, as you do. Houston's going to lead you like the Pied Piper. Bless you guys. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to um, turn to the book of Acts. And um, we're doing a series at the moment called In Revival Culture. And God's... For those of you who perhaps have had no understanding of why we're doing this, God has spoken to us as a church, spoken to us very powerfully about reviving not just us, but our nation. Now, those are big promises. Those are big words. You think, wow, huge words. How does that work out? Well, we have been called to step afresh as the family of God into his river of revival. That's what he's called us to do. Now, if that sounds a strange word to you, just go with the image. When you step in a river, it's kind of, it can be exhilarating. It can also be very scary. Sometimes when you're up to your ankles, it's just kind of, wow, this is cold. (laughs) But it seems fairly safe. But the deeper you get, the more you feel the power of the river. And And I believe that God is saying to us, that we need to get deeper and deeper and deeper into his river of the Holy Spirit that he's pouring out upon us as a church, but upon our nation in this season that we're in. Wow, we need this, guys. We so need this. And this series in Revival Culture is, is our act of obedience in readying ourselves, getting shaped by God's word, to live in response to all that the Holy Spirit is doing. This is about us not just cultivating a few things that we do occasionally, but a lifestyle, a total lifestyle, where we, as it were, live in response to the Holy Spirit in every way. We are a Spirit-empowered and a Spirit-led people. 
And that's the way that we want to live. And that's what we're seeking to do as we look at in revival culture, what it looks like. I believe that God says to us, it's always, always, always his heart to saturate communities with his presence. You look through history, you look through the Bible, you look everywhere. God wants the whole earth filled with a knowledge of his glory. He wants to saturate, he wants to saturate lives here today. He wants you, everybody here, to know that empowering presence. He doesn't want you just to sit there and think that was nice. He wants to meet with you. And he wants to change you. And he wants to use you for his purposes. Not to use you in a bad way, but to call you into your destiny for what you were called here on earth to do. You know, you're not just an aimless, random event. You are a precious child of God when you come to know Jesus Christ. And you have a purpose here on the earth. And that's what we're about. That's what this series is about. And so we're learning to live not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit. So we're going to read some words from the book of Acts. Today I'm going to be looking at what it is to be witnesses in revival culture. And just want to read, first of all, one verse from Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, very familiar words probably to many, but it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then just want to flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 4. In fact, to be honest, we could read the whole of the book of Acts, but we haven't got time to do that this morning. And I would have liked to have read chapter 3 and chapter 4, but again, we haven't got time to do that. So I'm going to just pick out some verses from chapter 4, verse 23. And the story follows two of the heroes, I guess, of the book of Acts, Peter and John. They've just healed a crippled man. Amazing miracle. This man, well known, sat at the temple gates every day. He's well over his 40s and been there all the days that he could remember. And he's asking for money and Peter and John are stopped and they look at him and they say, in the name of Jesus, walk. Silver and gold, we don't have, but what we have, we give you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And from that place, it gathers a crowd. And Peter shares what's happened. And he says it's in the name of Jesus that this man's healed. And of course, that gets them into trouble. And they get arrested by the temple police. The religious authorities throw them into prison. And the next day, they face the council and all the questioning, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What's going on? And they say, we're doing it because Jesus told us to do it. This is the way that we live. Because we're witnesses of everything that he's done in our lives. He's changed us. And we can't do anything else but speak of him. Well, oh, that would be the case for us. We're going to see that in a little moment. And then we get to 
the point where they're released. They said, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Stop it, otherwise you'll be in big trouble, and I mean big trouble. But they say, well, judge for yourselves. Who should we obey? Should we obey you, or should we do what God tells us to do? That's a good question. Whom should you obey? Should you obey what God says to you, or should you obey other voices? Good question, isn't it? What are you going to do? You listen to what the Lord says, or you're going to listen to other voices? And then they get released, and we're going to read from verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their, vo- sorry, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Do you know, God, I really want that. I do. I really want that. Do you know what the problem is? I think I want it in here much more when he wants it out there. I sometimes wonder, why is it the room doesn't shake? Why is it when Elijah prayed for fire to come down, fire came down? Why is it when um, different ones are out there? God responds, because it's out there. It's not that it's not important in here, but you know what? In here is safe. In here, it's cozy. Do you know what God wants to meet with his people? That's what we're thinking and praying about all the time at the moment. God wanting to empower us by his presence. That's great stuff. He wants to do that. There's more of that. This is a house of God. This is a place where God comes and meets with his people. There's always going to be good things happening because he's promised it. But you know what? Where he really wants to send us is out. And it's as we go out, he comes with us. That's where it starts to shake. That's where it starts to stir. It's when you're out on the edge that God steps in. And I think... For so long, what we really want here, particularly in the West, in the United Kingdom, is we want a comfortable Christianity. 
Look, I like it comfortable too. It's nice, isn't it? You've got nice chairs, carpet, safe wall that protects us from the noise. Hallelujah that we do get those things. But you know, God wants to take the wall down. He wants to take the wall down. And you see, a revival is only a revival when lost people, people far away, people who hate God, people who are not pleasant and particularly nice to us, people who are broken, hurting, messed up, completely captive to other things that just rule their lives. It's when people like that get to know that there's a Father in heaven who loves them. That our hearts get broken for those people, even when they hate us, even when they, they spit at us or they punch us or they, they kind of say you're a bunch of do-gooding whatever. We get to love them with the heart of the Father. And revival breaks out when an empowered church takes that power into their homes, into the streets, into the workplace, into the schools, into the places where the people are. And suddenly, God meets with those that are lost. And you know, one of the great things about revival is that it actually increases the numbers that follow Jesus. It does. You know, this, this situation that we've just read in the book of Acts is kind of like prototype revival. Okay, If you want to see the book of Acts as anything, it's a prototype revival. This is what God does. And we didn't read it, but it says that after Peter and John had spoken to those guys about what had happened to this lame man that had been made well, it says 5,000 men. <laughs> Not counting the women and children, came to know Jesus. The numbers increased to that. Wow. That's, that's a significant growth. And that's what revival does. Revival does. It, it grows the kingdom. It grows the church. Because men and women, boys and girls, come to know Jesus. The danger is that we can think that because God's powerfully working, that somehow we can leave it to him now to get on with it. Because you know what? He's better than us anyway. It's a bit of an inconvenience for us. And if we get in the way, we'll only mess it up. And there's a temptation for us to think that revival is just about God stepping in and doing it all. And we just sit back and marvel and we, we praise and worship. Well, yes, we do. But you know what? There are certain things which God has ordained in the way that he set life up that says, I will not do things on my own, but I will do them with my people. And co-laboring with the Holy Spirit in seeing lost people saved is one of the things that God has says we get to do. We get to co-labor with God. God is, you know, God is very able and very capable of saving people by himself. He is. He really is. And there are times when God meets with people in dreams and visions and wonderful things like that. But you know what? It always, at some stage, requires, because this is the way that God has set it up, men and women filled with his spirit, his sons and his daughters, to be there to help on the journey of taking these people into the next steps. 
You see, when the spirit moves, you need men and women who know how to lead people to Jesus. You see, in great revivals, I've shared this in the past, men and women have come under very deep conviction that they are in a place of lostness. They know that they've rebelled against God. The hard exterior that sometimes people have towards God is melted and they suddenly realise they're in desperate, desperate need of a saviour. But guess what? It's at that point that God then usually sends somebody to tell them the answer. And his name is Jesus. That's where we get called. That's where we get to play our part. I am aware of so many places right now where God is building his church. And you would think, how is that possible? Did you know that the place on earth right now where the church is growing the quickest? Some of you are going to say China, aren't you? There's a place that's growing even quicker than China. Some of you are going to say Colombia, aren't you? No, it's not Colombia. It's Iran. It's Iran. You would never have thought that, would you? A place that actually really is quite serious if you become a Christian. It gets the interest of a lot of people. In that part of the world, it's been estimated that in the last couple of years, 165,000 Christians have been martyred. Just in that part of the world. And yet in that place, God is building his church. When the Holy Spirit moves, he raises up men and women who will be witnesses. And one of the fruits of revival is this, that it relaunches the church as witnesses into the generations around them. I've, I've read a lot, as you probably can imagine, about various moves of God over the last little while. I've been profoundly touched, profoundly touched by the Moravians. I, I, it started actually unbeknown to me when we went um, for our 25th wedding anniversary to Prague. And um, in one of the big squares there, there's a, there's a statue of Jan Hus. Some of you may have heard of him. He founded what was known as the Hussites. <laughs> but he was, a, he was a revivalist, a man who was filled with the spirit. But he was burnt at the stake for his beliefs and what he stood for. And um, the followers of Jan Hus became known as the Moravians. And from that time on, they were persecuted, absolutely brutally, brutally persecuted, all in that place, which is now the Czech Republic. And they fled all over the world. But some of them found refuge in a place in Germany, in Saxony. And a guy, a godly man, a guy called Ludwig Zinzendorf, he actually established a community there. And all these displaced men and women, he gave refuge in his estate in Saxony. And in 1727, this broken bunch of men and women, maybe 300, maybe 400 at the most, the Holy Spirit fell on them. It was an incredible move. This is the place where we've talked about the 100-year prayer meeting. That's where it started. I found out something else about it this week. I thought it was the men and women that started it. It wasn't, it was the children. The children started that prayer meeting. And it was the men and women 
that then joined the children. That prayer meeting went on for a hundred years. But here, listen, listen, listen. This is the thing. He didn't actually, in that place, see thousands and thousands get saved. It became a house of God where many men and women, many Christians actually found a renewing in their spirit. They came to visit because the touch of God was there and they got renewed and they, they were awakened. But here's the thing. In 20 years, from 1727 onwards, that small group of about three to 400 people sent more missionaries around the world than any other group had done for the centuries before. Continents like South America, North America, Europe, Africa, the Far East were impacted by the missionary endeavours of three to 400 people. I, 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 was, I was in this place on sabbatical in America, in Ohio, in a little place called Janaid and Hutton. I don't know if that's the correct way of saying it. And I'm there, and it's the place where the First Nation peoples came to Jesus. And there was a, there was a horrible massacre there. But in that place, there was a guy who had spoken the good news to these First Nation peoples. His name was John Heckfelter. He was a Moravian. And here's the thing. He was born in Bedford. <laughs> and I just was so powerfully, I tell you what, I'm in this place. I'm with a man who is a descendant of the First Nation peoples. He's a, he's a sort of quarter Indian. And um, we're there. And in this place, the Holy Spirit meets with us. Because you see, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that fell on that people in Saxony in 1727... <laughs> sent people around the world. A family came to Bedford. John Heckfelter was born here in Bedford. And then they went to America and they preached to Indians. Indians get saved. And now there are men and women from many tongues and tribes in that part of the world that owe their salvation to, to these guys being faithful and being witnesses. And what these Moravians got was that when the Holy Spirit comes, you lay it all down. And you say, here I am, Lord, send me. I guess if there's anything I want to talk about today, about being a witness in revival culture, it's about saying, Holy Spirit, here I am. I want to be a witness to Jesus Christ. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. I want to give my all so that lost people, broken people, hurting people, people who are hard and bitter, those who are enemies of the cross, they can come to know you. I want to give my life for that because I'm giving it to you. And church, we're not playing games. We are not playing games. You see, the one thing that you realise when you look at this passage is that if there's no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved, that has some consequences. You see, the first thing about being a witness as the Holy Spirit comes upon us is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And you realise that we can't just say, look, he's one way amongst many other ways. We can't just be content to say, oh, do you know what? I've got friends and, you know, that they like this and it's okay because, you know, God, no. 
if there's no other name, if there's no other name that we can be saved by, we have a responsibility to let people know that his name is Jesus Christ. And look, the danger of this sermon is that it can, and I'm praying that this is coming in the spirit and not from any sense of guilt or manipulation because I hate that stuff. I really hate it with a passion. But what I do is I love the Holy Spirit and I love his conviction. And it's not always comfortable, but it stirs. And I realise I cannot be happy when my family, I've got members of my family that don't know Jesus. I have members of, of my my wider extended friendship group that do not know Jesus. What am I going to do with that? Well, I'm taking it back to Jesus and I'm saying, Lord, make me a witness. You see, a witness is somebody that tells of what they have seen and what they have heard. And therefore, being a witness means that we have to know and we have to live out of that place of relationship with Jesus. And if we are going to be witnesses, then we have to, a bit like Peter and John, be known for those who are associated with Jesus. I didn't read it, but in the earlier part of chapter 4, it said this. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. God, I want to pray that people would know that you've been with Jesus. I want to pray that men and women and boys and girls would know that when they meet you, they meet Jesus. And this is, this is my challenge, and I'm going to wrap up because we've got baptisms to do. There's so much more I could say about this. Is that to be a witness means that we come out of a place of knowing Jesus so intimately, so powerfully, that we then, when we meet other people, cannot help but rub off all that he's rubbed in into every circumstance of their lives. People cannot help but notice that you're different. God, again, please, no condemnation. What do people meet when they meet you? What do they get? Do they get the hard you? Or do they get your softened heart that the Holy Spirit has made you sensitive to what's going on in their lives? You see, to be a witness is to have the heart of Jesus. And to know that heart personally. I'm going to finish with this because there's many other points, and I'll, I'll, I'll don't worry, we'll get them another time. I realise that the biggest thing to us being a witness is our fear. When Jesus calls us and says, "Come on, come and share what I've done," we we kind of. Lord, please send somebody else. I'm happy to, happy to give out some leaflets. I'm happy to... Now, come on, tell them what I've done for you. Oh, Lord, please. You know, Peter and John, I don't think were immune from fear. 
They act courageously, don't they? They do some amazing things. You know, they're on the way to the temple. There's a guy there. He's probably the most publicly known cripple in Jerusalem. Don't pick the easy ones to start with, do they? But they look at this man and they say, do you know what? Jesus loves you. I haven't got silver and gold, but what I give you in the name of Jesus, be healed, walk. I heard someone say a few weeks ago that what we've done is rather than um, say what I have in the name of Jesus, I give to you. We say, no, actually, we do have silver and gold. We'll forget the other bit. And so often we give silver and gold because we're afraid of doing the other bits. Do you know, there's some truth in that, isn't there? I'm not saying we shouldn't give silver and gold, by the way. But, you know, we can substitute in the name of Jesus walk with silver and gold. When actually the real power comes through the kingdom. And when we come, we need to say, Lord Jesus, help me not to be afraid. Not to, not to buckle when I'm faced with these things. And you know what? That's why I love the bit that we read. Because what Peter and John did, they went back to their peeps, went back to their people, and they said, do you know what? We've been told we can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. That's serious. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And you know, they're going to, they're going to do stuff to us. They're really going to get us next time. They didn't this time, but next time they will. And as you read through the book of Acts, you know that they did. But you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to pray, Sovereign Lord, you reign over all this stuff. You reign over it all. This is not out of your control. And it comes to the point, consider their threats. And now, make us even bolder. Let us speak courageously. Let us tell of what we've heard. Let us speak your name powerfully, confidently, because you're with us. Oh, and please, Lord, will you stretch out your hand to heal the sick and to do miraculous signs and wonders? Will you do it? Now, look, that's not just the Bible. We get to do that right here and now. And, you know, I, I have been so taken up this week by the challenge. How often do I get on my knees in my room and say, Lord, help me to be bold, to speak confidently, powerfully of you. Lord, how often do I pray, Lord, let there be miracle signs and wonders and healings that will accompany that. I do it from time to time. But this is a prayer that we should be praying regularly as a church. Because you see, witnessing needs courage and it needs power. And it's all found in him. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that's what he brings. Courage, power, and he says, go on, see what I'll do. And the amazing thing is, we know how it ends. <laughs> it says, the room shook. And they went out and boldly proclaimed the word of God because they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's where we need to go. Amen. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. We're going to baptize in just a moment. But before we do that, I, I just want to give some moments. Just to respond to what it means to be a witness.
you know, it's great that we've got our families here. You know, sometimes people think, well, is this, is this going to spoil the moment? No, actually, this is going to make the moment. Because you see, the Holy Spirit comes in every moment of life, especially in our families. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest on everybody in this room. Holy Spirit, come and rest in every life. Stir us up again in the name of Jesus. Lord, let us be confident and bold about proclaiming the name of Jesus. You have no rival. You have no equal. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. I pray, make us confident again in the name of Jesus so that we can stand even when we give out boxes this Christmas or we collect food parcels or we give our offering. We can say we do this in the name of Jesus because he loves you. Unashamedly, he loves you. We love you because of Jesus. I want to pray right now that you will ignite a generation that will raise up a cry for Jesus in every generation. I pray right now that there would be an anointing upon men and women and boys and girls just called forth right now to be those that will be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus right here, right now. And will go to the many places that you send them. And I, I'm just going to do this right now. I, I, it's a courageous step that I'm asking you to do, but it's okay. If you know that God is calling you, he's calling you. You feel him calling you into this right now. And you will know, you will know. I don't even need to explain what I'm saying. You will know. I want you to come and stand with me here at the front. I want you to come. I want you to come right now and just respond just as those Moravians were kind of impacted in such a way that they realised they couldn't just play it safe anymore. I want to invite you to come. I need you to know this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you. But when you look at him, it will seem like nothing. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will just rest and seal in the heart every response that's just been made to give it all, to be those that propagate and Proclaim the good news wherever they go. And I pray, Lord, you're going to send some of these far and wide. You're going to send them into places of darkness, maybe in our town, maybe into places that are very broken. I just pray power now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, embolden and release a mighty army for the glory of your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen. Amen.